0: This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where bills are starting to die as time runs down on the 2020 session. Case in point, alimony reform. The Senate sponsor says it's not going to happen this year. Meanwhile, a group called the Veterans Cannabis Project is asking state lawmakers not to place a cap on the amount of THC in medical marijuana. Environmentalists are praising a Senate bill that would force the state to spend at least $100 million every year on the Florida Forever program. It used to get as much as $300 million a year, but the current crop of lawmakers has been doing land conservation on the cheap. A budget subcommittee in the Senate that deals with education issues votes to expand the voucher system that allows students to attend private schools at public expense. And in a rare moment of synergy, the panel also approved Alyssa's Law requiring panic buttons in public schools. On today's Sunrise interview, we check in with Steve Vancour to get his take on the turmoil created among Democrats by the rise of Bernie Sanders. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the latest misadventures of Florida man, who is trying to figure out how that pink thong ended up under the passenger seat of his Jeep. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, February 26th. A budget subcommittee in the state Senate approves a bill requiring lawmakers to put at least $100 million per year in the Florida Forever program. Senator Linda Stewart of Orlando says her bill should end the annual drama over how much the legislature will spend on land conservation.
1: Senate Bill 332 requires $100 million annually to be appropriated to the Florida Forever Trust Fund. These funds must be used in accordance with the Florida Forever Act and may not be used to fund any administrative entities. The bill provides a stable annual funding floor for Florida Forever rather than subjecting this program to an annual legislative fight. This will allow the programs and agencies to better plan for short- and long-term land acquisition and make sure we are using funds in an efficient and sustainable manner.
0: And it's not just Florida Forever. Lindsey Cross with Florida Conservation Voters says there are three different programs contained in the bill.
2: The suite of conservation programs that this bill will fund includes Florida Forever, our preeminent water and land conservation program the Rural and Family Lands Protection Program, which is critical for maintaining ecosystem services on our working landscapes, and the Florida Communities Trust, which plays an important role in both rural and urban communities by providing matching grant funds for local governments and land trust. So no matter where you live in the state, there's a program to address the needs of protecting our water quality, conserving habitat for fish and wildlife, maintaining productive agriculture, and creating places for families to get outside and live healthy lives. Residents and visitors alike experience natural Florida at our parks and preserves. We continue to break tourism records each year, and conserved areas support local economies and our thriving tourism industry. In short, Investing in conservation is investing in our economy and our quality of life, not only for today, but for generations to come.
0: Paul Owens with 1,000 Friends of Florida says lawmakers have to come up with more money to preserve land because time is running out on what is left of the real Florida.
3: At the current rate of state investment, it would take 370 years to acquire the conservation land identified in plans developed by the state and water management districts. Protecting the conservation land will protect our water supply, our environment, our quality of life, and our economy, which depends on the health of the other three assets. Obviously, we don't have 370 years to accomplish this. We need to pick up the pace. Uh, One Thousand Friends of Florida would like to see a higher level of investment returning to the historic level of at least $300 million a year established under Governor Bush. We see investment in conservation land as part of a broader, thoughtful strategy to protect conservation land so that we can target our investments in infrastructure to areas that are more appropriate for development to handle the growth that continues to come our way. Passing this bill with strong bipartisan support will send a message to the House that its latest budget proposal of $20 million for Florida Forever is utterly inadequate and ignores the urgency of protecting our conservation land before it's lost forever.
0: The House and Senate have very different ideas on the best way to conserve the real Florida. The House budget contains $25 million this year, the Senate $125 million. A budget subcommittee in the Senate approves Alyssa's law, which would require every school in the state to have panic alarms. Senator Lauren Book says her bill is named in honor of the youngest victim of the massacre in Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School.
4: Alyssa's legacy lives on in many ways, including the kindness she spread during her short life and through her mother's unwavering advocacy. Lori Alledeff has turned unbearable grief into committed action, fighting to make schools safer so that other mothers don't have to experience the impossible pain that I know that she endures daily. It is my honor and privilege to introduce to you Senate Bill 70, known as Alyssa's Law. This bill, which has already become law in Alyssa's first home state of New Jersey, would require panic alarm systems in all public schools. When activated, these alarms would immediately alert law enforcement and first responders that a life-threatening or emergency situation is in progress. In an active shooter situation, it's not seconds that count, but nanoseconds. With constant communication, notification that something is wrong and where law enforcement can be mobilized will save lives.
0: Alyssa's mother says the bill named for her daughter will help other parents avoid the sort of trauma she's been dealing with for the past two years.
4: Student safety
1: is our number one concern. The test scores will not matter if our children do not come home alive. My name is Lori Aladeff. My daughter, Alyssa Aladeff, a talented soccer player, should be deciding where to go to college this year. Unfortunately, she will never have that opportunity. After the tragedy, I felt so strongly that change needed to happen that I chose to do one other thing I never imagined. I ran for the local school board and won. I felt I needed to do anything I could to keep all kids safe and do it in the memory of my daughter's vibrant life. In a life-threatening emergency, seconds matter. A panic button clearly communicates an emergency by sending mass notification to all on campus, ensuring that students and teachers can respond rapidly and respond appropriately, whether to lock down or evacuate away from the threat. Alyssa's alert will get law enforcement on the scene as quickly as possible, and save lives. I believe choosing a statewide app will be a low-cost solution and allow for consistency of training and response across police jurisdictions. Interoperable communication can be activated by a panic button app, allowing the ability to instantly share information in an emergency situation. Time equals life. Alyssa is the heartbeat of this vital piece of legislation.
0: But the subcommittee added an amendment saying there should only be one system statewide and the contract should go to a single company. Juan Cardena works for a firm called Alert Point Security, and he says exclusivity is not a good idea.
4: We're 100% behind the idea of a panic alarm system for schools. Being married to a teacher of 24 years with a district in South Florida, I can tell you that is very important to me and my wife. Um, I would say as important as teacher pay, you know, safety in schools is paramount at this point. And um, if you look at the law as it's written in New Jersey, the DOE in New Jersey is allowed or has granted the individual school districts uh, five different options as far as the mix and match of solutions that can be implemented. The reason for that is because every school is very particular in their infrastructure and in some cases an app will work well assuming their wi-fi infrastructure is robust enough in other cases it may not and so you want to make sure that you provide the districts that ability to choose and pick what's best for each individual school and each individual district based on that criteria so limiting it to one vendor for this entire state really closes off the options And it also limits you from new products that may come out in the future. This is a very fast uh, moving industry with new products coming on all the time. And if you lock the DOE into one particular solution, they'll have to come back to the legislature every time there's a new product out that they may be interested in to try to get the law changed to, to allow for that.
0: There are already at least four companies that have contracts with Florida schools to provide panic alarms. The Education Subcommittee has also approved a bill by Senator Manny Diaz of Hialeah to expand the state's school voucher programs. Opponents say that money should go to public schools, not private ones, but Diaz says it's only a small part of the overall education budget.
5: We have 2.8 million students in public schools in the state of Florida. We fund that to the tune of $22.6 billion, and this expansion is talking about trying to reach the waiting list, which is now 35,000 students. The expansion is Um, of of, uh, students is 28,000. In addition to that, we're spending, the Senate has always had, uh, since I've been here last year, a balanced approach. And so our balanced approach this year is, we are providing four or $500 million for public uh, teacher raises. And we are doing a, a, uh, what I would say, a modest increase to make sure that we continue with the governor's proposal from last year, which was to eliminate the waiting list. We, we, we have 35,000 students that have gone through the process that are low income, that are qualified, that don't have the opportunity to participate in this. And I think that if you compare those two things, you know, the 22 billion plus, not to mention all the capital dollars that, that are, which is another 2.9 billion statewide that are expended through districts on public education. I think this is a very small program
0: The senator's bill could more than double the number of students who get a family empowerment scholarship. It would also increase the number of vouchers available each year by one percent of the total school enrollment. This year, that would be 28,000 new slots. A proposal to make substantial changes in Florida alimony law appears to be dead. The House bill has been approved by two committees and is scheduled to go before the Judiciary Committee later today. But Senator Kelly Stargell's companion bill never made it out of its first committee in the Senate. And she told News Service of Florida it's off the table for the remainder of the 2020 session. A group called the Veterans Cannabis Project is asking state lawmakers not to cap the amount of THC in medical marijuana. The House is considering a 10 percent limit, which is the pharmacological equivalent of training wheels. The full strength flower has up to 30 percent THC, sometimes more. The Veterans Group says marijuana is just as effective and not addictive like the usual opioids handed out by the VA. And Senator Jeff Brandis says there is no good reason to cap the THC content. I'm standing here with my fellow veterans to, to push back against DHC caps uh, Veterans who are addicted to opioids or uh, other, th- other issues, uh, this is obviously an opportunity for them to receive medication in consultation with their physician. We think it's incredibly important that they be allowed, uh, and we not put the government in the way of that patient and, uh, and physician. Brandis says capping the THC content of medical marijuana would double or even triple the cost patients have to pay to get their usual dose. But House Speaker Jose Oliva suggested that THC cap for flour and derivatives is a priority. He claims new super strains from Europe produce schizophrenic results, especially in young, developing brains. Speaking of developing brains, our studio guest today is resident pollster and pundit Steve Vankor. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics.
2: We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L.
0: Welcome back to Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg, and our guest in the studio today is Steve VanCore, our in-house pundit and pollster kind of guy, and also someone who, uh, let's just say he has a special interest in the fight over THC caps that is now happening in the state legislature.
6: Yeah, I'm, I'm perplexed. You know, I... I Saw what uh, Speaker Oliva said. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Speaker Oliva. Oh, yeah. Uh, while we disagree on certain policies, he's a good man. Uh, he's an honorable man. But he I just he's wrong about this issue. And he said a couple of things, Rick, that are just gnawing at me. Let will give you an example. He said there are strains that are 100 times stronger than the current strains. Well, the current strains are somewhere between 15 and 30 percent THC. Uh, let's just say 20 Well, if it was five times stronger, that would be 100% THC. So he has repeated this line about 100 times strong. It makes no sense. Uh, The other thing he's been saying is because they want to cap now smokeable, right? At 10% THC. At 10% THC. And we'll talk about the study in a second because— You actually read that study. I did read the study. I'm the, impressed. <laughs> well, I cheated. I read the opening and I read the conclusion. That's but then all But I you went and really, yeah. at the data. But when it gets the T-tail test, I'm like, ah, no, no, no. But let's talk about the study real quick. Okay. There's two things that are floating around. One is a summary of studies, but one is a study out of England that— it's not, it doesn't say, the study itself does not say high concentrations of THC cause certain types of psychoses. What it says is people who self-report, keep this in mind, people who self-report that they're smoking, recreational, not medicinal, that they're smoking high concentrations, a little bit of braggadocio there, Smoke are more likely to have a very narrow sliver of mental disease, okay? Now, that's causation, not causation, it's correlation. Could the fact that they had a mental disease led them to smoke more? And it's, and, and it's self-reported. So yeah, my THC is higher. So the study itself doesn't make the claims that some in the house are saying the study makes. And that made me a little crazy. I'm, Wait a second, that's not what the study said. And, and the last part was, we're worried about, you know, young developing brains. Well, keep in mind, uh, Florida does not allow those young developing brains to smoke marijuana. So They have to use
0: the, the tincture forms? Yes. For, for yeah. the va- and,
6: and most of them are for epilepsy, which is the CBD, Charlotte's Web kind of stuff. Right. Not involved at all. This is just for smokable is what they're talking. Now, he did have a slip of the lip. We forgive him for that. He had said across the board. Uh, earlier, I think it was last week, and I think he's rolled that back. So, now. we're talking about smokable. But the rationale behind that, the study doesn't say what he says. Uh, uh, young developing brains are not involved here. And 100 um, uh, times also makes no sense. I mean, we're talking up to 30% THC. And uh, so we're talking about cutting that in third for smokable, which means the patients who are using smokable marijuana to get the same medicine— the same amount of medicine will have to smoke more, and they will have to purchase more, which raises their costs dramatically.
0: Anywhere from two to three times as much just for the same dose. For just for the same, and, and they'll have to inhale more smoke into their lungs, which is not good. So what do you think is going on here? There's a long-term strategy by the House leadership.
6: Well, I think this started – I think the, the ball got rolling when, when people were bragging that they were going to be on the ballot in 2020. This was going to pass. And we and I said it here, I said it uh, many times, not going to happen, not going to happen. They started way too late. And now they've they folded up tent and gone home. So it's not going to happen. So maybe the underlying impetus for this has gone away, and maybe we should do a little bit more study and understand it. And just yesterday, uh, Senator Brandis brought in a number of veterans who are suffering from PTSD to hit the issue square on, saying... Please don't make us buy more and smoke more just to get the same medicine. And I thought that was a pretty compassionate message. Kudos to Senator Brandis. Okay. Shifting from compassionate messages <laughs> to politics. <laughs> to the PTSD. Total, the total lack of... Uh, forget PTSD. Let's talk PPP. Yeah, PPP. presidential Sanders. preference primary. What's... So I brought a prop today, as you can see, can, but the audience, unfortunately, can't see my prop. It's, it is a giant asterisk that appears to be made of electrical tape. <laughs> it's, uh, it's from my computer. Uh-huh. And uh, it's an asterisk because, you know, I think we should all, everybody who considers themselves a pundit, a and an analyst, you know, we were the same ones saying uh, for, you know, four years ago, Trump can't win You know, Bush will emerge. Somebody else will emerge. The field will clear. There's going to be a ceiling. He can't win. He's going to put his foot in his mouth one more time. And here we are today talking about the re-election of Donald Trump. So when I say to you, Rick, I don't think a self-declared socialist in in a country, whatever your politics are, Americans lean right. We like our individual liberties. We're we're always skeptical of big government. We pay our taxes. But we're a little cautious about that. So we're – as a nation compared to other nations, we're more conservative than most nations. We're not Denmark. No. And so – But guy- yet yeah, we
0: we embrace socialist programs when we like them. Oh, absolutely. We like Medicare. We like Medicaid. We like Social Security.
6: Yep. But we just don't call it socialism. Don't call it socialism. And a guy's calling himself a socialist. And this week— Actually, a Democratic socialist. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Even though he's not a Democrat, but thank you. Uh, By the way, in ad chaos. Somebody's filed a lawsuit saying— You know, by the way, Rick, you can't vote in the Democratic primary unless you're a registered Democrat. So Bernie can't vote for himself. Well, but he doesn't live here, but— Yet you can appear on the ballot as a de- when you're not a Democrat, and they're filing a lawsuit saying he should—I I think they'll lose because he was on last time. Uh, but I think that's a really, a really good point. as as more chaos. So he comes out of Nevada, clearly the presumptive frontrunner at this time. He's, you can say he's 3-0 right? Because Iowa was kind of crazy, but he did win the raw vote in Iowa. Uh, New Hampshire. New Hampshire walking away, and he won Nevada two to one. So he's the presumptive nominee, even though he's only got 45 delegates and he's got to get to about 2,000, but he looks strong right now. And it was almost like him being in his position of of, of potential winner, he decided to say something a little crazy, which was he praised, um, he didn't, I don't want to take it out of context.
0: He had the gall. He had the tenacity. To suggest that Fidel Castro actually did something good at one point in his life.
6: Right. So there's two parts to that. One, the thing he said, which was he put he put in place a good health care system and a literacy program. Well, we'll never know if he did or not because it's a communist regime run by a brutal dictator who uh, could easily lie about those things and put out their own statistics. So we don't know. So, Bernie, with all due respect, and I have a lot of respect for him, he is a U.S. Senator, after all, you don't know what really happened in Cuba. A. B. You idiot. (laughs) Why would you, if you're running for office, why would you say something? And you brought up something offline. Does this matter outside of Florida? I don't know. Praising a brutal communist dictator, even if it's a backhanded praise, you know, it wasn't all bad. I think was a bad strategy at at a very minimum. And so now this throws chaos into the ring. Everybody's going to stay in. Everybody sees hope. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing this go to convention. I don't see how it doesn't. Ah, damn.
0: Yeah. I didn't want to hear that.
6: Well, unless he goes, in, listen, if he comes out with, remember too, because the Democrats now have standards in place where these races, there's no winner take all. Okay. So they, they split the delegates in the They split votes, the delegates. Yeah. So nobody's going to come out of, of Super Tuesday, high probability, um, with enough delegates to to, to, put, to plant the flag. And big thing, I said this on the last show what's Jim Clyburn going to do? He was playing his cards very close to the vest. For those of you who don't know, very, very popular congressman in South Carolina if anybody's endorsement in any place means a great deal Clyburn's going to endorse it appears he's going to endorse Biden who's who's gasping for air in South Carolina right now he needs to come out of South Carolina with a double-digit win right now most polls have him in in single digits with Bernie closing on him now maybe the Fidel Castro thing might hurt him Uh, The Clyburn thing might help uh, Biden, but Biden, in order to even have a rationale for staying in this race, must finish double digits in South Carolina.
0: Our guest today on the Sunrise Interview, Steve VanCore. Thanks for having me. Great to see you again, Steve. Good to see you, man. Your calendar of events gets off to an early start. The House Education Committee, the House Health and Human Services Committee, and the House Judiciary Committee are all meeting at 8 a.m. The Senate Rules Committee is meeting at 9 and will consider two proposals that would make it harder to put constitutional amendments on the ballot. The House meets at 1.30 and will consider a variety of bills during a floor session, including changes in the health care industry. Also at 1.30, a Leon County Circuit judge will hold a hearing on a request that he order the Florida Department of Transportation to increase tolls on the Garson Point Bridge over Pensacola Bay. It's commonly known as Bowes Bridge because it was forced through the legislature by former House Speaker Bo Johnson of Milton. The bonds are in default, and the authority that's supposed to be in charge hasn't met in more than five years. The Senate has a floor session beginning at 3.30 and will take up numerous issues, including a bill to pay Clifford Williams more than $2 million for the 43 years he spent in prison for a murder he did not commit. The Senate could also approve a bill that would loosen sentencing laws for certain drug offenses. And it's time once again for the adventures of Florida Man, the superhero of the Sunshine State. Police say a Florida man who felt like he was being ignored set his hospital bed on fire to get a nurse's attention. It worked. John King admitted setting a plastic bag on fire because he felt the staffers at Advent Health in New Smyrna Beach were ignoring him. He was arrested on a felony charge of arson. The hospital says it will cost 4000 bucks to replace his bed. And a Florida man wants to know who's been joyriding in his Jeep. Victor Odo dropped off his 2003 Jeep Liberty at Mustang Speed and Restoration in Clearwater for repairs. When he picked it up three weeks later, the vehicle had racked up two traffic tickets and two toll charges in two different counties. It gets worse. Odo claims that while he was cleaning up the car after retrieving it, he found sand and stains in the back seat, clothing tags, plus a pink lacy thong under the passenger seat in the back. Odo filed a complaint with Florida's Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, where a spokesman says an investigation is underway. That's it for today's edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.